With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Slow Burn Media and Evergreen Podcast presents Who Killed? A podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Who Killed? I'm your host, Bill Huffman, and this is a Slow Burn Media, Evergreen Podcasts, and Killer Podcast production. Now this week, we are going to take a trip back to the Wild West and explore one of the craziest tales from the day. And I am talking about Alfred Packer, his murders, and of course, his cannibalism. But I do want to say, before we get started, that there has been some updates in the Idaho 4 case, and those have been mostly from the releases from the FOIA requests made by the media, and these do detail some of what they did take when they did arrest Brian Koberger at his home. Some of the things are quite disturbing, such as uh, the fact that he was wearing uh, surgical gloves to dissect his possessions from his parents garbage and that is just a sign that he was trying to discover or hide his DNA so it wasn't discovered now again this is just one of those examples of a criminology student knowing what the uh, police would be looking for and again with this case getting closer and closer to trial uh, do believe that it will happen eventually there were some interesting things such as you know basically a murder kit such as a black hat black gloves tight black clothing and it was definitely one of those cases where he was well aware of what he was doing so anybody who wants to pretend like this was some random act they need to double check their information and really look into what they have recovered and what they used to pursue this individual and again he is innocent proven until proven guilty but again the things that are stacking up against him are considerable so let's just move on from that and hope that they can continue to keep things close to the vest but it is one of those cases that has a lot of interest and of course there are going to be people who are asking lots of questions and that is from the national to the local to the international media so again you will hear different things coming out throughout the case whether or not you will take those with a grain of salt which i hope you do uh again that's up to you but do know that they are doing their best to keep this one under wraps and they don't want to screw this case up so there will be pretty much uh not much information coming from an official source you will hear leaks from certain individuals but you don't ever get what's really going on and again you don't want to because again in this case you really want to see this guy serve what he is destined to serve which is life in prison now he could 
get the death penalty. But as we've discussed with other guests, this is a state where they have barely put anybody to death since the reinstatement of the death penalty in the 1970s. So it may be a fool's errand to go down that path, but again, that is up to the families. And if they want to go through the pain of the appeal process, then have at it. This guy deserves what he gets, and if death is what it is, then so be it. But uh, again, innocent until proven guilty. At the moment, things don't look good. I do think it's interesting that the attorney that he has representing him was at one point one of the victim's family's attorneys. So kind of interesting there. I mean, a little bit of a conflict of interest in my opinion. But again, she's a public... Well, let's get back to what we originally started discussing here in this episode. And that is one Alfred Packer. And we're going to pick up in 1874. And that is with the article, The Great Colorado Tragedy of 1874. This was written for The Independent. And it states... Alfred Packer was sentenced to death for murder in the vicinity of Lake City, Colorado in the winter of 1873 and 1874. He is now being confined in the Gunnison Jail for his own safekeeping. Now, this article at the time was seeking an interview, and with the consent of his counsel and the district attorney and the sheriff, J.H. Bowman, they were ushered in and introduced to the prisoner with whom they spent nearly six hours, and they talked freely, and he spoke unhesitatingly. Now, Alfred Packer says he was born at or near Harrisburg, Pennsylvania on February 21st, 1848, and is therefore now 36 years of age, and is unmarried. The first and fourth fingers on his left hand are missing. He says they were amputated, the results of an accident on a sawmill near Harrisburg when he was 12 years of age. Now, you would figure that accidents like this happen all the time. We have seen the movie Walk the Line, where Johnny Cash's brother also suffers from a mill injury, and that is an impactful thing in his life. So, of course, this would impact him. Now, he was about 5 feet 11, and, you know, he had a solid build, but, you know, he was... Kind of a skinny guy, I guess you could say. Uh, Now, he did have small, according to this article, small, sinister blue eyes that were deep set and over a large nose with thick nostrils. He has a low forehead and hair long, dark, bushy, and unkempt. He wears a heavy and savage mustache and a coarse goatee fringed with gray. He is a rapid and not unpleasant talker. Though illiterate, not being able to read or write when he entered Gunnison Jail, but with the restrictions received from members of the sheriff's family, he is now able to read and write. of murdering his five companions 10 years ago. Now, this was near Lake City. And again, this was in Hinsdale County. For weeks, he supposedly lived off the flesh of his victims. I apologize for the graphic detail there. 
but it is part of the wider story. So, he basically stole their money and ate their flesh and was able to uh, go on living. Now, in October of 1882, Alfred Packer arrived in the vicinity of Fort Fetterman, Wyoming Territory, and passing under the name of Schwartz. Now, he busied himself in ranching and prospecting. His identity was discovered last January by a French peddler from Cheyenne. Nearly two months ago, the peddler arrived at the fort with his pack of tinware and stopped at Jack O'Brien's ranch. While sitting in one apartment, he overheard a man in the adjoining room talking in a loud tone. Springing to his feet, the peddler exclaimed, I know that voice. He looked at and saw Parker through a crack and then expressed his positive opinion of the man's identity. He described the missing teeth, the two missing teeth, and lack of index and little finger on his left hand. Now, he related that Packer had threatened to kill him and dared not enter the room in which the murderer was sitting unconscious of the discovery of his identity. So, the peddler called upon Deputy Sheriff Campbell and narrated that the story of the crime has already been published. Now, Campbell communicated with Sheriff Miller, who corresponded with Colorado parties, and then ordered Parker's arrest. According to the article, it was last Friday morning that Deputy Sheriff Campbell and his brother Dan had started after Packer, who was living with an old man who happened to be named Old Mose at the foothills of the Wagon Hound, 30 miles from Fetterman. They reached the hills in the afternoon, and while overlooking a bluff, they saw Moses and Packer approaching across the bottomlands. Now, they went and they unhitched their horses as though they were going into camp. Now, Packer took them for prospectors and advanced within 100 feet. Now, Campbell covered him with a gun and told him to throw up his hands. Now, Packer, of course, thought this was a joke and continued to advance, said... Wait, what do you fellers mean? Hereupon Dan basically covered him, and he threw up his hands. And he was shackled, tumbled into the wagon, and hurried to Fort Fetterman. He arrived in Gunnison in charge of Sheriff Claire Smith of Hinsdale County, and upon the order of Judge Jerry, was turned over to the Sheriff Bowman for safekeeping. There were going to be no jail in Lake City where he would be confined without guards. A large and curious crowd had assembled at the depot to see him when he came in, and he was driven direct to the jail and locked in a large cell. He was given a preliminary hearing before Judge Jerry in the open court, but the crowd was so great that the judge adjourned the court and held the preliminary in his room. Brown appeared for Packer. And as the latter was anxious that they should defend him, they still took the case. Packer waived examination, and after the judge had questioned Sheriff Smith as to the identity of the prisoner and etc., Packer was bound over to the term of the district court in Hinsdale County, which was held on April 2, 1883. He was then taken back to jail. It seems that Packer was a member of a party of 21 who left Salt Lake City in the fall of 1873. Mind you, this is 1884 that this is being 
brought up in court. So again, they left for the San Juan and then the new El Dorado. So the party left Salt Lake in late in the fall and poorly provisioned, according to some people. Now, they were expecting to buy supplies in San Juan and there were old men and there were young men. There were some old prospectors and some just basically boys. George Noon was probably the eldest of the party, had upon his person considerable money in giraffes. And again, this is all according to this article. Frank Miller was the youngest prospector, about 20 years of age. Now, Packer had a bad face and no one liked him. Now, I think that's something that you would only hear in an article written in the 1880s, but you probably see it on Twitter today. On the way through Utah and up the old Mormon fort at the crossing of Grand, there was a fair road through a country more or less settled. From thence, there were no inhabitants, and the Ute Indians held the wilderness, now so well known as the San Juan County, and famed as a rich silver and gold mining country. Bands of the Utes were encamped on the Uncumbridge and other streams engaged in hunting. The snows of October, then as now the precursor of approaching winter, found the party nearly out of supplies and replying relying upon their rifles to procure game. The Indians warned them that they must not prospect on the reservation prior to the ratification of bending treaties. Thinking to wait until the country was then open to them, the party spent much of the winter about on Cumbridge. Finally, their supplies being fully exhausted, six, Al Packer, George Noon, Frank Miller, Israel Swan, James Humphrey and Shannon Wilson Bell started early in February 1874 for the Sag via the Ute Indian Agency, which was then on Los Planos Creek for about 40 miles west of the Sag This party, traveling without a guide, avoiding the canyon of the Gunnison, followed the old Indian trail, which crossed Lake Fork, just below what is known as Barnum or Allen's. When they struck this stream, they were evidently of the opinion that they had passed around the Gunnison Cannon and had struck the main stream. At any rate, they followed up this stream. One of their camping places was afterward found. Now, their next camp was the fatal one, where the bodies of the five victims were found months afterwards and near which they now lie buried at the mouth of the gulch to which their tragic death gave the name Dead Man's Gulch, by which it's known to our readers. Their graves are on the mesa, just above where the bodies were found, and are marked by five stakes, which may be seen from either of the road in the vicinity. Soon after the departure of the first band, other members of the original party, among whom was Mr. Preston Nutter, set out also for Sagawachi, guided by an Indian. Upon arriving at the agency and inquiring for the agent, Steve Dole, then clerk, temporarily in charge, gave them food and shelter. Now here they found Al Packer, who told them that the others of his band had abandoned him. 
while sick or unable to travel, and that he did not know what had become of them, and that he had just found his way into the agency. Taking Packer with them, they proceeded on their way to Sagawachi. There, Packer got drunk, and soon hmm, excited suspicion by displaying considerable money, well, he didn't have that before, that were made to one George Noon. And by his conflicting stories regarding his adventure, he was kind of painting himself into a corner. So, again, he was cornered. And then he told the terrible tale, which was first circulated throughout the country, that the band of six had become so reduced by starvation that one after another had died, their flesh being in turn eaten by the survivors, and that he was the only living member of the party. Believing that something was wrong, Mr. Nutter and another, Mr. Montgomery, took Packer, who claimed to be willing to show them where he had eaten the last man for breakfast, and followed Packer's trail, still fresh in the snow, back to the park east of town, which, being bare further trace, was lost. They, however, came over to the valley near Lake City, but Packer pretended to be unable to identify the surroundings or even tell this was the stream he had been on. After searching thoroughly and finding no trace of missing men, Nutter and Montgomery returned to the Sagawachi and surrendered Packer to the authorities, by whom he was held for a time, and there being no evidence against him, he was eventually set free. He lost no time getting out of the country and was supposed to have fled to Arizona, where it is said he was afterwards seen, and it was even reported that the body of a suicide answering his description was found, of which, however, there is no authentic evidence. Mr. Nutter soon afterward went via Del Norte and the Rio Grande Valley route to San Juan City in Antelope Park, then the leading town in the San Juan country, and the county seat of what is now Hinsdale County. Now, it's a long ago abandoned as a town, as a site. Now, E.T. Hotchkiss, with a party of men among whom we believe was James Sparling, was engaged in the summer of 74 in looking out a route for a toll road for the Sagawachi to the Animus River. They followed the general route afterward, selected for the line of the road between the Sagawachi and this place, thence up to Lake Fork, through Burroughs Park with Animus Forks. Now, in passing up the stream, the party came upon the camp and the bodies of the murdered men, four of them lying in their blankets as they were killed in their sleep, and the fifth, Swan, sitting up, his hands tied under his knees and his left arm broken, evidently having been killed after a terrible struggle. Perhaps having been first aroused by the dying groans of his companions and in resisting the murderous assault of Packer, been partially disabled, then bound and killed, Miller's body was headless, the flesh was partially stripped from some of the bodies, and a butcher knife was found sticking in the thigh of one of his victims, Miller, we believe, indicating that Packer, the fiend, was also a ghoul who had pretendedly eaten the... <laughs> pretendedly eaten each of the victim's flesh. The bodies had been tilled of valuables. The victims had evidently been killed with a hatchet, some with the back of it. So nice blunt force trauma there. Now Noon had been killed with its edge, 
as was evidenced by the fact that his face and head were covered by a blanket, which adhered to the terrible gash in his head. Another example of somebody who didn't want to be seen committing this crime. Now, a messenger carried the terrible news to San Juan City. It was given to the world, and Mr. Nutter with others came over, and the bodies were identified. Now, on the 24th of August, 1874, a warrant for the arrest of Packer was put out, and again, this was done by the Justice of Peace in San Juan City. So, Jack Sweeney, the sheriff, was never able to serve it because nearly a year afterwards, George A. Depping, a prospector well-known to the old citizens of this area, <clears throat> while hunting the parkies, found a human skull bearing the marks of hatchet cuts. It was undoubtedly the missing skull of Miller, and we believe it is still in possession of someone of the citizens in, his, in Hinsdale County. Packer has been morose and sullen since his capture, and only once inquired the reason for his arrest. Now, he was not informed, and since then has maintained a dogged silence upon the subject. Now, this was written by one W.D. Blackburn in 1883 or 84, and it is an incredible piece of journalism because of the fact that it covers the whole story, but not really in too much detail. But the fact that it even exists is pretty incredible. So we're going to move on to the next section, and that is the pardon. So when somebody commits a mass murder, such as Alfred Packer did, you would assume that his sentence of death would at least lead him to dying in prison. Well, Governor Thomas had a different feeling on this situation and decided to pardon him as one of his last acts before he retired. Now, the grounds were his bad health, and it being certified that he is suffering from Bright's disease, which I don't even know what Bright's disease is at this point in time because it's 2023 and this was 150 years ago. But Packer's case is one of the strangest in criminal history, the article goes on to state. Alfred Packer was convicted on April 1883 in the court of Hinsdale County for the murder of Israel Swan and four others, and he was sentenced to be hanged. Now, the crime alleged, again, was to have been committed on or about the first day of March 1874 in the county of Hinsdale. The prosecution attempted to prove that while in the mountains, in company with five others who had got lost while on their way to the San Juan country and were making for the Los Pinos agency, Packer killed the five companions, robbed them of their money, and ate their flesh to live. Now, afterwards, prosecution claimed that Packer escaped from the sheriff and was not captured until 1883. So again, remember when I said that it was 10 years after the fact? Well, that's the reason. It's because he was able to kind of avoid arrest. Now, Packer asserts that he did not escape, but left the county at the time of the investigation, and it was an instigation by a prominent citizen and it would be months after before he was arrested. Now, they told him the case would be dropped. So, again, before the time set for Packer's execution, the Supreme Court had decided in another case that the legislature had inadvertently repealed every statute under which a conviction for murder could be 
and without any special judgment of the Supreme Court, the Hinsdale County Court vacated the sentence of death and granted a change of venue to Gunnison County. Now there, Packer was tried on five charges of voluntary manslaughter, convicted on the evidence in the case, and he, the state was put him in the penitentiary for 40 years, eight years on each charge. Now this was to serve continuously, not concurrently. So again, that would be 40 years. Now at the exp expiration of the first eight years, according to this article, less behavior or less good behavior time, his attorney applied on December 15th, 1882 to the Supreme Court for his release on writ of habeas corpus on the ground that in this case, the lower court had power consolidated against the objection of the prisoner, five different indictments for manslaughter and for killing of five different person, persona for trial before one jury. The attorneys for Packer also raised the question as to whether the law cumulative to sentence entered into the case. Now, the court decided against Packer. Later, an effort was made to secure his release from Cannon City through a transfer to the insane asylum on the ground that he was insane. This also filled, and, you know, that was the time the case had been almost constantly before the Board of Pardons. Now, every governor in recent years had appealed and refused to interfere with the sentence. So, the case of the cannibal, the Colorado cannibal, as he became known, is interesting because he was eventually paroled, and... He did die uh, eventually. Um, now he was buried at the expense of the county. And it was, uh, you know, one of those situations where this was an individual who was famous for committing one of the most incredibly awful crimes in the state of Colorado. So Alfred Packer was found, uh, you know, dead. And that's okay because nobody is going to shed a tear over a cannibal. So you have a situation here is, um, you know, the result of the trial was that he was convicted. He got the 40 years. Now, uh, this is where, you know, in the second trial, he did get a chance to uh, kind of be told off by the judge in a way. And it's kind of an interesting thing because, um, he basically just reads in the riot act and it's interesting in the sense that, uh, just, he's just a disgusting human being. And so anyway, Alfred Packer, you know, this goes on to, uh, 1974, this article is from, and it's an interesting thing because the Colorado cannibal is being parlayed by this small, isolated Rocky Mountain town into a business proposition aimed at luring tourists into the region, officials say. Now, Packer's story, in which legend and fact freely mix, is a natural to attract tourist dollars. Quote, some people think it's distasteful, but we think it's the best way to get national recognition, said Chamber of Commerce President Bill Hall, who also owns a sporting goods store. An Alfred Packer Festival, complete with barbecue, was held Saturday to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the Colorado Man-Eaters exploits. 
The central point of Packer's story is cannibalism. The former shoemaker is said to have killed and eaten the five companions to which he was with during the harsh winter of 1874. Again, this is when they continue to tell his story. But Packer was apparently the only one that survived. And again, things continue to move as far as honoring this individual. There is an Alfred Packer band, which has been playing for years. And it's according to, uh, you know, one of the music festival's organizers. It says, uh, you know, they've been dressing in 1840s costumes and the band blends old-time string music with a lighthearted type of comedy. Along with a regular stage performance, the band is slated to hold a musical workshop during the festival. On top of the regular performance and the workshop, we're hoping we can persuade them to move around the park and play a little minstrel music. Reed also said the band will be playing at the festival thanks to Kansas Touring Program, a part of the Kansas Arts Commission. So, again, Alfred Packer is a cannibal, yet they are naming bands after him. If you think that's weird, well, let me tell you. I've got another one for you. It is the fact that the, at one point, and I don't know if this is 100% true to this day, but at one point, University of Colorado's cafeteria was named Alfred, after one Alfred Packer. So, it's kind of interesting and uh, kind of morbid in the same sense. So, you know, I mentioned the judge getting to say his two cents, and he did it in a good old country boy manner, and this was Judge Jerry, and he said, quote, stand up, y'all voracious man-eating son of a bitch. Receive your sins. There were seven Democrats in Hinsdale County, and you eat five of them. I sentence you to be hanged by the neck, only till you're dead. Dead is a warning. Again, reducing the Democratic population of Hinsdale. County Packer? Yeah, Republican cannibal. Thus did Alfred Packer become a legend. And as I mentioned, it's, <laughs> it's not necessarily the cafeteria, but it's called the Alfred Packer Grill. So again, 115 summers after the murders, James Starr discovered the five victims' long-forgotten graves. Now, they were located near what is today Lake City, Colorado, at the end of a driveway belonging to an orthopedic surgeon. Packer was saved from the gallows and eventually paroled, because he was a model prisoner, before he died in 1907. Now, I did mention to you earlier that he had died, but I did not give you a date. So, there it is, 1907. So, he was released from prison and had a couple years of uh, freedom, I guess you could say. Now, Stars wanted to know whether there was a good reason to add guilt to the list. And he said, quote, everybody told me, Quote, you won't find anything but bone meal if you turn up the graves at all. And that's Star holding a photograph of the five beautifully, beautifully preserved skeletons that he found 13 inches below ground. Quote, the drainage was excellent and the soil acidity was low, which are the key elements to preserving bone. I can also report that these men were certainly not Democrats since we found all the backbones, unquote. Zing, wow, and that's in an article, that's pretty funny. 
now, 13 volunteer scientists uh, reading Give Me Five removed the skeletons in July 1989 for analysis at the Human Identification Laboratory at the University of Arizona in Tucson. Now, the, where this identity was determined mainly by establishing the men's age and stature at the time of death. All the victims had scarred bones that indicated defleshing and ultimately cannibalism. There aren't too many other cases or reasons for these marks. Now, as a scientist, I can't tell you that Packer actually ate these men, but as a lawyer, I can surmise that's exactly what he did. So that kind of wraps up the tale of one Alfred Packer. He is a cannibal. He was one of the first cannibals that we know about. Probably inspired some of what we know about Hannibal the Cannibal. Some stuff that we know about other murders and uh, other crazies out there. So this was just a story that I came across. I thought it was funny. Not funny in the sense of like, haha, but funny in the sense of... I didn't really know this story. And it's kind of uh, shocking considering you spend most of your time in this industry looking at crimes. But again, this is a case that's 150 years old, so probably not something that you would think about. But when you live in Colorado, you start to learn a little bit about the lore. And in this situation, I felt like the case was fit for an episode of Who Killed? So at the end of the day, what we have is we have Alfred Packer, a cannibal from the state of Utah who murdered five of his friends. And uh, that's pretty much the gist of it. He was kind of crazy, and he was able to get out of jail before he was actually hung. But other than that, this guy is not something that you should be naming your band after, but... I guess you run out of band names. I don't know. It's one of those things to each his own. So thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know this is a short episode and I know that I've been sporadic as of late, but it is due to just being very busy and I did get my tooth situation taken care of. So that's all good. So thank you guys again. I appreciate it. If you want to help support the show, you can do so by using my Venmo at who killed, or you can leave a review wherever you listen to your favorite shows. So check out a brand new episode next week. As you know, I drop new ones every Friday. And if you want to know what's going on with my social media, you can follow me at Twitter at Bill Huffman three. So, as usual, thank you, and as always, stay healthy and be safe. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page.
3 a.m. The comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire. Let me tell you what you're going to get. You're going to hear stories about demonic possessions, prison stabbings, skinwalkers, glitches in the matrix, cult leaders, missing 411, night marchers, Operation Paperclip, Mesopotamian devil worship, and so many monsters it'll give Kanye West a runaway for his money. Pop and meme culture also aren't off topic. A camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place. We're just a group of friends trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3AM, the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go.